This is episode 98 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the life of magic performer and dealer, Frank Ducrow. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective And this is episode 98. So excited to be back with another episode. I've had uh, kind of a busy few weeks, month, I I guess, uh, with shows and bookings and other things. So uh, getting ready for the new year. Uh, I had um, recently, I had some shows on the other side of Nashville and was really cool because it was before Christmas. And uh, it was that the, both the, sh- the shows, one was early evening, one was later evening, and I had to drive through some of the, uh, let's say, wealthier communities, uh, Brentwood and that. And um, it was so cool driving through these areas because these million-dollar homes that are over there, that are, every home is like the size of a hotel, um, all had lights, just very n- nicely decorated, very classy, but they all had lights uh, all over them. Uh, it was an amazing sight to see, I have to say. Really put you in the Christmas spirit. Um, let me see, what else is going on here? Um, just a couple of weeks ago, Potter and Potter had another auction, and uh, this time a Houdini milk can poster sold for a whopping $180. $80,000, is that right? $180,000. How in the world can that be? In some parts of the country, you can buy a house for that. Who has that kind of money these days? I've got to watch what I spend at the grocery store. Things are so expensive. So plucking down $180,000, I don't know about that. But congratulations to whoever was able to do that. Um, I have the same poster on my wall, by the way. It only only cost me $30. So there. Um, for those interested, I've been putting up items on eBay again for, for sale, uh, magic history, magic books. Uh, if you look under Carnegie magic on eBay, you'll see some of my stuff. Um, a lot of the newer stuff that I put up when I say newer stuff, um, it's all magic history stuff. So a lot of it's, you know, old vintage stuff, but the newer things I've listed have already sold, but I think I'm going to put another batch of things up. So go over there and check it out if you're so interested. And uh, also should let you know that the magic detective t-shirts are still available. Um, I had written here on my script that uh, they would make a unique stocking stuffer, but uh, that time has passed. So um, what a great new gift for the new year. What do you think of that? Um, If you're interested in a Magic Detective t-shirt, they help to uh, support the podcast. So um, just go to magichistorian.com to pick up uh, your Magic Detective t-shirt. Let me see. Oh, and also, I'm going to put out a new shirt in 2024, and um, I've been encouraged to do this by uh, numerous people over the years uh, to put out uh, some of my artwork, and I've been trying to figure out exactly the right way to do it, and I thought, what if I put out like a really high-end shirt uh, with my some of my artwork on it? So we've been kind of searching and trying to find the highest quality the best quality, uh, you know, t-shirt kind of thing on the market. And I think I found it. So, um, uh, watch for that in 2024. 
Uh, let me see. Oh, a little bit of bad news. Um, Mickey Hades has passed away. And, and if it wasn't for him, my podcast last month uh, never would have appeared um, because I, I used some uh, a script that uh, came from the Mickey Hades company. And he and his son gave me permission to, uh, to use it. So um, it's really sad to hear. So rest in peace, Mickey. And by the way, uh, if you go visit my blog, themagicdetective.com, you'll see a page called Magicians We Lost in 2023. And why I never thought to do this before in the past, I have no idea. But I'm going to try and do it in the future. It's a, probably not a complete list, but um, uh, it's got most of the major uh, magic um, magicians that passed away in 2023. Uh, I tried to list everybody that's on there. I tried to have a photograph of them. Um, so go check that out. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you see on the, this time of year at the end of the year, people kind of go back and look at the several celebrities that they lost and that kind of thing. So I thought I'd go ahead and do it for 2023 and boy, Ooh, 2023 was not a good year for, um, for magic in that regard, there were some real heavy hitters in that mix. So I'll put a link in the show notes for those of you that want to go check it out. Okay. So today's episode deals with a guy who frankly uh, was a real go-getter. I always thought he was just a magic shop owner, but boy, was I wrong. He did a, a little bit of everything and a lot of some things. And it appears that, um, all the movers and shakers of that time period knew him well. Folks like Houdini and Thurston and Keller and Blackstone, all the major names and all, pretty much all the lesser knowns as well. And I think you're really going to enjoy his story. Theodore Francis Fritz was born May 7th, 1877 in Brooklyn, New York. He had the moniker, the boy magician, and also the popular Brooklyn wizard. When asked what inspired him to get into magic, he could not recall, for he'd been into magic so long, he couldn't recall a day when he was not working on something magical. He had the nickname Fritz growing up. He developed the nickname Duke later, likely short for his stage name, Ducrow, the full name being Frank Ducrow. According to Mahatma Magazine, September 1900, his father owned a large establishment that made artistic furniture, and he sent his son to Mercantile College. Frank graduated with honors. But rather than take over the family business immediately, as was the hope of his own father, he chose to pursue a life on the stage. His enormous arsenal of talents, from topography to music with glasses and bells and chimes, all the way to various types of magic, made him a very popular performer. As early as 1900, we learned that Frank suffered from bouts of rheumatism. One particular flare-up caused him to postpone a tour of Europe. I believe it was these occasional health issues that caused him to return to the business world and likely take over the family business. He would also begin to acquire magic businesses and stock, as in products from these businesses. His first was the popular magic firm of H.J. Burlingham in Chicago. 
A bit later, he purchased Otto Maurer's magic shop from Otto himself. More on this in a minute. In 1901, Ducrot became president of the newly formed Society of the Sphinx, with their official magazine being Mahatma. Ducrot would become editor and proprietor of Mahatma magazine, and by 1902, the Society of the Sphinx would merge with the newly created Society of American Magicians. This according to Henry Ridgely Evans and his book, Magic and Its Professors. Mahatma, by the way, was printed in the back room of Martinka's Magic Shop, the same place the SAM was formed. Frank would remain editor until its final issue in February of 1906. Ducrot did not completely give up on performing magic. On the contrary, he was a favorite of the Lyceum Circuit agents and often toured with them. It's clear from periodicals of the time that he was still a very busy performer. He performed on the Chautauqua Circuit, in circuses, and even in vaudeville. Frank Ducrot bought Martinka's Magic Shop around 1920. Martinka's was the oldest magic shop in America, having opened in 1873. It was started by two brothers, Francis and Antonio Martinka. The original shop was located at 493 6th Avenue, New York City. It had a 5,000-square-foot building with a small showroom, a theater, and workshop in the back. It was the go-to place for all the heavy hitters of the day, in 1917, the brothers decided to retire and sold the shop to Charles Carter, who had grand plans for the business. But before long, he was looking for a buyer. Alf Wilton would join in as a partner and then eventually buy out Carter. Wilton would bring in several others, including one of the original brothers, Francis, but also Theo Hardeen and Harry Houdini. The shop eventually moved to 304 West 34th Street in New York City, and Frank Ducrow would be the next owner. Under Frank's ownership, the shop would become known affectionately by all the New Yorkers as Ducrow's Dirty Dump. And I just discovered that Frank had a third nickname. You can add Dookie to the list. The official name of the business would be the Martinka Hornman Magic Shop, with Frank Ducrow as the manager. Frank hired Daisy White to work the front counter and act as secretary. She was also his part-time assistant. Unlike the original Martinka's location, the spot on West 34th Street was merely two rooms. And unlike most magic shops, it was quite often crowded, especially on Saturdays. By the way, if you'd like to learn more about Daisy White and her connections to Frank Ducrow, and more importantly to Houdini, listen to my podcast episode number 24. All of the next bit of information comes from a series of articles written by Arthur Leroy, which originally appeared in Hugard's Magic Monthly in 1956. Apparently, Ducrow, when working at the shop, wore slippers instead of regular shoes. You always knew when Frank was around because you could hear the shuffle, shuffle, shuffle sound of his slippers on the hardwood floor. And even though Frank Ducrow owned the shop, he was still a working magician and often a busy one at that. One of his signature routines was his thumb tie routine, patterned after the Tanichi thumb tie. Frank's actual work on the thumb tie was recorded for posterity in Volume 4 of the Tarbell Course in Magic. Another signature of Ducrow's was his egg bag, which finished with the production of a guinea pig. Now, our boy Frank was also a trick inventor. His most famous creation was 20th century silks where two silks of the same color are openly tied together. 
a third silk scarf of a different color was made to vanish. Then upon picking up the original two tied scarves, the odd colored one was found tied in between the two originals. His second most famous creation was made along with William Robinson. The two collaborated on it, and that would be the change bag. And yes, the original was made from a church collection bag. So if you've ever thought that's what it looks like, well, that's where it comes from. It appears that Frank is also credited with the creation of the dye tube as well. So these are three extremely significant contributions to the world of magic. Life at the magic shop was wondrous. Keep in mind, this is still the oldest magic shop in America. It's now been passed down or purchased uh, by several people. So it's had more than one owner, but it stayed open continuously. The original Martinkas was known as a place where many of the top pros in the nation came to visit and hang out, share ideas, and have new creations built. That tradition continued under Frank Ducrow. Just to give you an example of some of the folks who often stop by his shop, they include Max Malini, Horace Golden, Ted Anneman, Di Vernon, Howard Thurston, Harry Houdini, the great Nicola, Gene Hugard, Al Wheatley, David Bamberg, Carl Rosini, Frederick Eugene Powell. I could continue. The list is huge. Now, Frank had a special way that he dealt with new beginning customers, or I should say beginner customers. If he didn't recognize you, he'd ask you a couple questions. He might even hand you a deck of cards and ask you to do something. If you came in asking for a specific piece of equipment, he might look you over and then suggest something more suited for a beginner. As was the case in one afternoon when a gentleman came in asking for a set of Chinese rings. He mentioned that he was in a hurry and needed to catch the train for Philadelphia. Frank looked him over and said, Well, that's a hard trick to do. Just then you could almost see the steam coming out of this guy's ears. He said, Mr. Ducrow, I am Paul Rosini. And then according to the story... Frank smiled and said, well, you can't do any more harm with them than the rest of us. And I'm sure they had a laugh over that. But Ducrow's idea of giving a beginner something they could handle was a, a, a really good way of doing business. He even stated that he could sell other stuff to those people. But when they finally gave up in frustration, finding things too difficult to use, they'd hate him for selling that item. I was fortunate to know two dealers with that same philosophy, Denny Haney and Al Cohen. Although Denny mainly dealt with uh, folks that had more of a professional mindset. And he, was, he, he would still always try and steer you away from, well, for lack of a better word, crap. Uh, and um, point you to better pieces and often to the classics. Al Cohen... Uh, likely kept his store in business with things like plastic ball vases and, and other easy-to-do effects. And, and if you purchased from Al once, you were probably a customer for life. Often after you bought something from Al, he would take you aside and show you how to do the trick. And so it was with Frank Ducrow. He really cared about magic and helping magicians be their best. Now, despite his background in business and apparently making enough money in order to purchase 38 different magic shops, some of his business practices were questionable, at best. 
For example, he did a poor job with his mail order business. For those unaware, once upon a time before the internet, you'd have to look through an actual physical printed catalog and order things from it. You'd write out on a piece of paper what you wanted, you'd include the cash, and you'd mail it in. This was mail order. Unlike today with Amazon and other companies who can ship out an item on the same day that the order arrives, you'd get it possibly the next day or within a few days. Mail order was different. Four to six weeks was the standard back in the 1970s and 80s. That was four to six weeks for delivery. It must have been worse in the 1920s and 30s. In Ducrow's case, orders would go unopened for months at a time. The mail would just pile up. And here's a story from Arthur Leroy from Hugard's Magic Monthly demonstrating that exact thing. Quote, One day, Ted Anneman rushed up the stairs breathlessly. Fritz, he yelled. Fritz, you're going to be decorated by the president of the American Medical Society. You have just saved the life of a guy who was pronounced dead. Ted continued, This guy apparently sent you an order for a sliding die box 20 years ago, and each morning he got up to check his mail. No die box. Two days ago, after all these years of waiting, he lay dying. It was the end. His eyes fluttered. His heart stopped. The long wait had ended. Then suddenly the doorbell rang. It was the postman with the die box. The poor man The poor dead man was shocked back into action. He jumps out of bed, borrows a hat, opens both doors, sighs contentedly, and then falls back into bed. He died in peace, Duke. He died in peace! Ducrow said, hmm, and shuffled into the back room. One thing I noticed when reading about these visits to Ducrow's shop was that there were many daily visitors doing card tricks. This time period, this was the beginning of that whole genre. In fact, Frank Ducrow himself claimed to be a master of what he termed out-of-the-vest magic or out-of-the-pocket magic. In other words, close-up magic. He claimed he could present two hours' worth of material right out of his pockets. This was to be the direction of magic for many. When the great Nicola would stop by the shop while on tour, he would look to Frank for advice on smaller in-one material for his show. In-one material are smaller tricks you can do from the stage, usually standing in front of the main curtain and presented solo, thus the word in-one. One time, while visiting, he saw Di Vernon and Ted Anneman and Sam Horowitz doing card tricks, and they were just frying Nicola's brain. He was fooled one after the other. Another magician is mentioned whom I've not heard of, so I'll have to do some future research on him. His name was Roland Travers. He apparently had a very flashy and fast illusion act. He's quoted as saying, after he'd seen a ton of card tricks being shown at the shop, this is what he said, quote, what does it get them? What does it get them? He couldn't see the potential for this newer form of magic. He was a stage illusionist, didn't have any need for these small things. But I wonder, when the bottom fell out of vaudeville, if he had a change of mind on close-up magic. Now, this next one might be my favorite story about Ducrow's shop because it involves Houdini. 
but it's also extremely enlightening as well. I'm going to quote this direct from Hugard's Magic Monthly, July 1956, quote, I remember the day that I walked into the back room and was stopped dead in my tracks. There stood Houdini, his brow laden with sweat and his silk shirt ringing wet. No, 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 screamed Dookie. Your swing is too wide, much too wide, slower. Narrow down the arc, Houdini. Great magical personality that he was, struggled to please his master, like an obedient child. Ducrow was teaching Houdini the Ducrow thumb tie, and the more Duke berated him, the harder he tried to please. As they finished the lesson, a tiny man came into the shop. He was Charles Prevet, and Houdini greeted him with affection. Caught your act at the American last night. Good idea. Stick to it. Houdini was complimenting Prevet on his new act called La Fantasy. It was an illusion act in a review style with singers, dancers, and showgirls working in the illusions, which followed a musical comedy approach. Today, we read of illusionists who created the review type for an illusion show, except they're all about 25 years too late. Charles Prevet, with his La Fantasy, beat them to the prunch, and Houdini, covered in sweat, was telling him to stick to it. Now, as it turns out, Prevet retired from show business in 1938. He was a pioneer, and he never knew it. I remember back in the day at Al's Magic Shop, one day while there, the amazing Randy dropped by. Another day I was there, Dave Williamson came by. Dave lived only a few miles down the road. The famous Dr. Patch Adams was there one day. If you're unfamiliar with him, uh, go watch the Robin Williams movie called Patch Adams. It's amazing. Other times in the shops, uh, folks like George Bush, yes, that George Bush, Muhammad Ali and others would stop by. If we backtrack now to Ducrow's, it's a Saturday and a tall, skinny guy comes in. He's in town performing in a college play and wanted to get a trick for his spot in the show, and he meets Ted Anneman, Al Baker, and Ducrow. They all take a liking to the young man. Eventually, this fellow shows them a card trick that, frankly, floored them all. Now they liked him even more. The moment he left the shop, they all went to work trying to figure out the trick. Magicians. Anyway, that man never came back to the shop. But you might have heard of him. His name was Jimmy Stewart. By the way, a quick review of Ducrow's stage act, and this isn't his full show, but a shorter act that he was famous for. He opened with the torn and restored strip of paper, and then he would explain how it was done, except the explanation would be in Greek, so the audience couldn't fathom what he was saying. He was apparently quite a funny comedy magician. Next, he did the thumb tie, often associated with Tenichi, the Japanese magician, but Frank Ducrow had his own method, and it was faster and cleaner than the original. Then he finished his act by doing a rag picture routine. Frank was known for having a diverse treasure of talents he could include in his show, from chipography to Punch and Judy uh, to rag pictures to magic. In 1939, Guy Jarrett put together a show featuring all of his own illusion creations. The show was performed at the Maurice Bliss Idle Hour Playhouse off-Broadway. 
Frank Ducrow was the magician in the show and presented some of his own signature routines. Daisy White, the chief demonstrator at Hornman's Magic Shop, and also a magician's assistant to Ducrow, Cervelli Roy, and even Houdini, was featured in all of the illusions. According to Jim Steinmeier in his book on Guy Jarrett, the performance lasted one single show and was not good. He claimed that even Jarrett wouldn't speak of it years later. Now, here's more to the story. In 1939, the SAM convention was to be held in New York City, and chosen to conclude the show was an act called The Grand Finale, starring Frank Ducrow presenting Guy Jarrett's original creations. According to Arthur Leroy, who was in the audience for the show at the Idol House Theater, quote, It was full of novelties, and those who were present were sure that Dookie was in at last. No more $15 and $25 club dates. A little fixing, a little polish, some fresh costuming, and Guy and Duke would be partnered in a good illusion show. A day before the convention, the show was being loaded, and Frank Ducrow started feeling weak and having pains. He ended up in French hospital. But he had hopes that he'd recover in time for the convention. This was not to be. Frank Ducrow died May 24, 1939. That would be Ducrow's grand finale. Finally, there was a very revealing statement made about Horace Golden and Ducrow's magic shop. Apparently, in the basement, Ducrow had stored some incredible pieces of historical magic, including effects made by Milton Chase, Theo Bamberg, De Vere, also effects like the revolving aga levitation, the lunette, the single delivery duck tub, Adida, and other rare items. Anyway, Horace Golden was always asking about this stuff, wanting to acquire some of it, but never did. Now, here's the crazy part. This article was written in 1956, talking about Ducrow's show back, or shop back in the 30s. In that year, the magic shop was now owned by Al Flosso. The article states, To this day, the whereabouts of these pieces remain a mystery. Perhaps they still lie in the cellar, buried under some huge accumulation of dust. What? Is that building still there? Is there a secret treasure trove of antique magic yet to be found in New York City? Wow, that's crazy. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this final episode for 2023 of the Magic Detective Podcast. Let me remind you, I still have t-shirts available over at magichistorian.com. So grab a t-shirt and show your support for the podcast. Until next time, I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Be well, stay safe, and Happy New Year.